The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. I'm so excited that I get the privilege of introducing our speaker this morning. Brandon and I met in 2007. He had just graduated from high school and I was speaking at a youth camp. And part of the time I was speaking on missions and I just mentioned that my wife and I we're about to start a Bible study for college students interested in missions. We didn't really know what we were doing other than we wanted to uh, awaken students to God's heart for the nations. And so told Brandon about that. He got my number and I uh, said, yeah, I'll give you a call and I'll come. And I got home and I was telling my wife about this young guy that I met that seemed like a great guy raised in a Christian home, but also seemed like his, his life was kind of at a crossroads where he might just head toward nominal Christianity church attendance kind of checking a box or he might really start to run after Jesus and she said so you'll think he'll call you and I said no we'll never hear from him again (laughs) but sure enough he called and he came to our Bible study and then he and I ate lots and lots and lots of breakfast tacos together and I got the great privilege of just kind of having a sideline view of this great work that God was doing in this young man, growing him as a follower of Christ and as a young leader. And about halfway through his college journey, he said, hey, this, there's this girl that I met uh, that I like. And I said, what's her name? And he said, Sarah Huey. And I said, oh, and I just kind of laughed because about six guys had mentioned her name you know, two weeks before that. So I don't know if he won or if he was just a brave one that decided to ask her out, but it worked out pretty well. And so as we grew with Brandon and Sarah together, kind of the relationship moved from mentor just to friendship. And they helped us mobilize students. And then we ended up having the privilege, as many of you know, of launching Brandon and Sarah and Wesley and Samantha to go and serve and love people in the Middle East. And so they went through two years of language school, sharing Christ with their Muslim neighbors. And then Brandon's been trained at a great place in Dubai called the Gulf Theological Center. And so it's a great privilege. I'm very excited to introduce to you Brandon Brewer. Would you give him a hand as he teaches us a word this morning? Assalamu alaikum. Uh... I say sabah al-khair, and you say sabah al-nur. So sabah al-khair. All right, that's good morning. <clears throat> now you know Arabic. Congratulations. Well, it's an honor to be with you, truly for me to be with you, for us to be with you. Usually it's the other way around, where you are with us. We are very grateful to all the visitors we've had, the people loving us so well. Um, and truly, I think, I don't know, other people where we're living, and they say, you guys have people all the time. I come visit you guys. Where are you from again? And we get to say Temple Bible Church, and we're grateful for how you've loved us, and um, it's an honor to be here with you for a change. So thank you for having me. So this morning, we're going to be in Ephesians 2. You can go ahead and begin to turn there. Ephesians 2, and I'll also have it up on the screen here for you. We're going to begin in verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus, and he repeats himself, so we're going to jump down 
to verse 11. He's still talking to the church, and he's reminding them, Remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the hands by flesh. Remember, church, that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Friends or brothers and sisters, really, we were dead We were separated. We were alienated from God. And it would be foolish to live our lives as if we've earned His grace. It would be foolish for us to live our lives as if we've earned the love and grace of our God. And many of you, some of you, are alienated from God. And so from the front, we say, he loves you. He loves you. As he's loved me, as he's loved the church. And we get to read on. And so I'm glad you're here, if that is you this morning. But we get to read on. So jump back up to verse 4 in chapter 2. So while we are dead and separated and alienated from God, verse 4 steps in and it says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. And by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus." For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. The church is not a group of people that have figured something out. Okay, think about that. The church is not a group of people that have just figured something out. The church are redeemed once alienated, now united people of God that have been brought near by the work of Jesus Christ. We represent a triumphant king. It's not a group of people that have figured something out. And we see this pattern in Scripture where God's extending himself despite our sin, despite our isolation. He's extending himself to reveal himself to his people. God is extending himself to reveal himself to his people. What an amazing God. What an amazing God. And church, I remind you, as I remind myself, we're not here to perform. We're not here to perform. We're not here to earn the grace of our God. Brothers, sisters, he loves you. By grace we have been saved and brought near to the Father. He loves his church. We were once alienated and now we are united. In verse 19, as he repeats himself, we read again. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, 
Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. We were once alienated, now we are united, and it's only in love. This is a wedding um, Wesley and I went to about three years ago, I think. And this may look different to you. This is a normal wedding for us. And it's the men and the women are separated. And this is the, the male tent, as you can see. And all around are couches. And so men are mingling. There's eventually singing and dancing in the middle, which is a fantastic cultural experience. And, but when you come into the tent, culture and tradition, you go and you greet everyone along the outside of this tent. And you start from your right, and you go all the way around to the left. So me, Wesley, and a buddy that invited us, we go and we do all of our greetings. We find our place on one of the couches. And then other people are flowing in, and they go around, and they do their greetings. And by the 10th or 15th person, you know, it's, it's uh, salam alaikum, salam alaikum, salam alaikum. Oh my goodness, who are you? Where are you from? And we get to say, oh, I'm Brandon, I'm from Texas. I'm Wesley, I'm from Texas. They say, oh, it's amazing. And by the 10th or 15th person to do this, our friend pulls us aside and sits us down. He says, guys, you need new names. There's no question. You need new names. They can't say your name. I was like, okay, great. What's our new names? You know, give us something. And he said, Brandon, you're better. I was like, okay, better. What does that mean? Uh, it's like the moon. In the Gulf here, we love the moon. It's one of the names of the moon. It's a strong name. It just represents power. Great. Better. I like it. And Wesley, he says, what's my name? Walid. Like, okay, Walid. There's kind of this weight. Uh, what does Walid mean? He says, uh, little boy. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I was making that up. It's so true. <laughs> you can ask Wesley later. Uh, he eventually updated his name. Turns out that Wallet is a great, great name. It's a, a patriarchal name that represents strength. So we now, we were once alienated, and just like us at this wedding, we have now been given a new name. And friends, in our sin, we are drawn back to isolation. We are united in love. We've been redeemed out of our alienation and brought near to God. And in our sin, we are drawn toward isolation. But now we have a new name. We are no longer alienated. We are the people of God. And this is who we are together, united. In 1 Peter, which is an echo of Exodus 19, he's telling the church now, <clears throat> excuse me, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. 
Praise God. This is who we are. We are God's people. I'm uncomfortable with some of us saying we love Jesus. We love Jesus. Jesus, we love you. But we don't love the church. You may think you love Jesus. You may want to know and love Jesus. You can't love Jesus and not love his bride. Chase is a dear friend of mine. I think I know him well. I love him. And it would be foolish of me to say I know and love Chase without saying I know and love Laura. It's his wife. They're one. It would be foolish of me to say I know him and not know his wife. It would be foolish of us to say we love and follow Jesus without loving and knowing the church. My friend, excuse me, my brother in Jordan, Marwan, he says, the beautiful union between Jesus and the Father is the same union Jesus has invited us into. Think about that. The union between Jesus and the Father is the same union he has invited us into as the church. The night before he goes and he gives his life on behalf of our sin and for his glory he sits and he prays to his Father and he prays for the church. He prays for us. He says, I do not ask for these only but also for those who will believe in me through their word that they may be that they all may be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. This is his prayer for us. That we be one with the reason so that his love may be known. We are united in love. We're united for love. This is a picture of our porch at our old house and two of my kids. And we meet on Fridays where we live. And so we had church Friday morning in our home and uh, most of the people had left. And my son was walking out to say bye to everyone. And as everyone's leaving, he's distracted and looks up and there's a man. Our neighbor is on his roof. Not terribly uncommon. But the man had a, had a bar and maybe some like water jugs. He was working out. He was, it was something. He was exercising, we'll say. And... So my son, he, you know, hey, and he waves. So this guy puts down, you know, and he goes to the edge, hey, you know, alaikum. And then my son says, Jesus is Lord. And he just yells it. And it echoes through the neighborhood. I wish the man could understand him, but I don't think he could. He waved and he gave a big thumbs up. It's great. But this is the church. This is who we are. We are the proclamation of who God is. The church is the dwelling place and the proclamation of who God is.
And if you're not aware, Jesus is Lord. And he's our Lord. You may recognize this as well. A couple weeks ago, Chase gave a great message on TBC's core values. Surrender, community, and mission. And we die to ourselves. We find our identity in Christ and community alone. We join arms, we fight sin, and we proclaim his excellencies together. This is who the church is. This is where these values come from. The work of Jesus and the love for each other and the love for our neighbor. This is who the church is. We are redeemed into his unity. We're adopted into his family. We're adopted into the kingdom. When we say kingdom, the very word implies unity. There's no isolation that is implied by the word kingdom. We look at this and say, this is a picture of a ruler and his people. And how magnificent that kingdom is. We are united to represent our king. And as a reminder, you're not the ruler. We're his people. My friend described it really well and he said, really, in a kingdom has its own culture. Within its walls has its own culture. And that culture very well represents what kind the ruler, what kind of ruler is there? Who is the ruler? And if a foreigner or a, someone moving in were to enter the gates, within minutes, they'd have an idea of who the ruler was and what kind of ruler he is. And as the people of God, we proclaim who our king is, for we have been adopted into his kingdom, together, locked arms, as the church, as his bride. Ephesians 4, a little bit later on from our passage earlier, says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, which should really be the, the world we culture. Rather, we have a culture of speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, our ruler, into Christ from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint, with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We're working as one. We're united in love and represent His holiness. We represent our King together. Does anybody know what this is? Okay, you all know what this is. What is this? Ducks. How about that? This is a pair of ducks. And if you talk like Chase, 
it turned into Paradex. <laughs> paradox. So what is a paradox? You're looking at it. No, I'm just kidding. What is a paradox? It's truths that seem to contradict each other. So you may hear something, it sounds contradictory, but they're both true. And as Western minds, we have a very hard time making sense of paradox. A very difficult time. Some examples that are common is a beginning of the end. Okay, that's a common one, pretty easy to accept. Drowning in the fountain of youth, it's just unfortunate. And please ignore the notice. Right? Uh, nobody goes to that restaurant, it's too crowded. Don't go near water until you learn to swim. You can't learn to swim until you go near the water, right? It's a paradox. We're uncomfortable with it. There's just something just gets us a little weird. We're uncomfortable with it. My mom came and visited us where we live, and we went to the one place that I know of that had a chocolate milkshake at the time. I wanted to treat her to a chocolate milkshake, and we went and we walk in, and this man quickly runs up and says, I've been waiting to meet you. Awesome. What's your name? (laughs) And he, after we talked, we found out we had a mutual friend that had told him, hey, look for this guy. Try to talk to him. It was a wonderful blessing. But this man came, and he said, I don't know what you guys have planned, but I'm going to buy your coffee. You guys have to come sit over here. Okay, Mom, are you okay with that? Okay, great. And we go. He buys us coffee, buys me coffee, and buys my mom a milkshake. And we go, and we sit down. And it's really informal, but as it started to begin, it was very clear that we were in the middle of a poetry night. And we were sitting in a circle of about 15 men and women reciting poetry just by memory. And there's this beautiful, almost movie moment where you have a perfect picture of Arab culture and they're sharing poems and they're talking about culture and tradition and the old times and things like that. It's just a wonderful experience. And then the guy that had bought our drinks, he turned to me and he said, Brother, uh, why don't you give us something from America? I don't know about you guys. I haven't memorized any poetry in my life. And he could see pretty much the sweat coming down on my face. I could feel my body sinking. And he said, uh, you don't have to do the whole thing. Just give us something that y'all do at parties or... Something. I wish I was making this up, but I'm not. Uh, and I was just sweating. I was so uncomfortable. You know, your world starts to like shrink in. My Arabic was gone. I was just, anyway, I pulled out my phone. I read Psalm 23. Um, it was a, a great night. It kind of ended there. Honestly, there wasn't a huge turnaround of spiritual activity, but it made me really uncomfortable. That's my point. And we come, we come to that with paradox, hopefully not as severe, but we are uncomfortable with paradox. And I say that paradox is all over our scriptures. 
It's all over the text. Some examples would be, we die to live. Less is more. We give to get. We flee to pursue. We see that in Timothy. We turn away from the world to follow Jesus. These things that seem to contradict each other. In reality, they're all true. And the paradox, paradox, not the pair of ducks, paradox that we're looking at this morning truly is loving one another, loving your neighbor, and loving the nations. So on the onset, in our brains, these are three categorically different things the church does. Some people are really great at church. They love and they, they're great, and they're the service people, right? But some people are really good at loving their neighbors. They're the outreach people. That's great. Some people are really good at loving the nations. They're great in poetry, uncomfortable nights, you know. The reality is this is the call of the church. Not portions of the church. Not what side plate you get at the buffet, right? This is the church. This is what we do. And although they may sound categorically different, sometimes even contradicting each other, This is who we are, and this is what we're called to. We're united in love. We're united for love. About two weeks ago, we're on the way home from school, and my son, really out of the blue, said, I really want to go sailing. I've never sailed in my life. I don't know if they talked about something at school, maybe. And I said, great, son. What do you, why? What do you want to do? He said, I just want to sit on the boat, feel the wind, you know, you could tell he'd maybe been told a story. Feel the wind. Just sail, Dad. It's like, oh, that sounds so nice. But, son, you can't swim. And he, like, looked at me. And he's like, Dad, I said sail, not swim. <laughs> and they may sound different, but these three things are dependent on each other. They're dependent on each other. First, we have love one another. I have a good friend, a good friend of Chase and mine, actually, that says, we cannot reach the unreached with spare time and spare money. Okay, so we can't reach the unreached with spare time and spare money. There's intentionality, there's lives, there's resources. It has to be Intentional. You can't just do it on a, on a Saturday when you're not working. And I'd say in the same light, we can't love one another with spare time and spare money. We can't do it. This isn't a country club. We're in this together. We've been united in love. We're called to love one another. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And in John 15, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. The church is not a side project of God's. Think about that. You and I, growing in Christ's likeness, is not something God's just putting his spare time into. 
He died for us. Praise God. My buddy Scott says, does your commitment to the local church reflect Christ's commitment to it? Are we loving each other? The greatest lovers on the planet know that they've been loved. The greatest lovers on the planet know that they've been loved. And we find that in Jesus and we find that here in his bride. And how foolish it would be for us to focus on the unreached, for us to focus on the, na- the neighbors and neglect our brothers and our sisters. How unfortunate and foolish that would be. The very testimony of knowing and following Jesus is our love for one another. There's a great man that you may know named Gene Martin. He was the missions pastor here for a while. He used to say, and I'm assuming he still does, he says, your system is perfectly designed to give you the results you're getting. Your system is perfectly designed to give you the results that you're getting. If we're not loving our neighbors, I can almost guarantee you we're not loving each other. These are dependent on each other. We love each other and we love our neighbors. So how is your system designed? What is the source? We, as we saw in Ephesians 2, as the church have been given the greatest love, Christ with his life and resurrection have united us with God and brought us to him. The greatest love. We as the church are united in love, and we as the church love. We saw it in Ephesians 2. We're not performing, we're not earning the grace, and there's no one on the planet that can. And in a similar light, how foolish it would be for us to treat them as if they could. We must love our neighbor We must love one another. I have a great friend. We're sitting in his front porch, or outside of his front porch, really, just out on the sand. And at the time, we were thinking of baby names for one of our children. And he was asking me how that was going, you know, that's sometimes a tense time in the house. And I just had the great opportunity to share him the story of John Gibson Patton. So if you don't know John Patton's story, John Gibson Patton, write that name down. We'll come up later. There's Patton with one T, P-A-T-O-N. And John Gibson Patton gave his wife for the New Hebrides Islands. He went to this cannibalistic tribe and island. He gave his wife. Four out of six of his kids died. His wife died. The illness and his faithfulness was such a great picture of God's faithfulness to these people. And they believed. 
took some time, of course, but I was telling this to my friend. He's just a great listener. He's a great thinker. He's a processor, and he was sitting there. I think he was getting it. You know, maybe he was just having trouble with my Arabic. <laughs> but he was looking at me, just thinking and processing, and I told him this whole dramatic story. He said, Brother, wahed. You know, I have one question. He said, did I hear you right in saying that God communicated with this man? I said, yes, absolutely. We know from his prayer journals, we know from his wife, we know from his work, that God communicated with him. And he does that now. I said, did you know there are so many families praying for us now, tonight, that we would know God more. He's communicating through his people, through his word. He communicates, man. And he's looking and he's processing. And I don't plan to forget it, but he looks up at the stars and he says, I've never heard anything like that. A God that communicates with his people. And I tell you that because that was, it's just a story. You can Google it. John Patton is just a story, a real man, but I just told a story. Is there a neighbor, a co-worker, that'd be fascinated to hear about John Patton running for his life from these cannibal tribes, Indiana Jones style, and you just tell him a story and point to Jesus? Love your neighbor. The greatest of this is to point to Jesus. Loving is pointing to Jesus. So we love our neighbor, and I challenge you to love your neighbor. We learned that here through the church. We feel so loved by you guys, and we get to do it there, and you get to do it here. We're united in love, and we're united to love. We love the nations. We love the nations. For some of us, we say, I want them to know. I hear of this man. He's never heard of a God that communicates. I want to be there. I want to be sharing this. He needs to know. You're right. He does. Praise God. Amen. But at the same time, we're neglecting our brothers and sisters. We're stepping over each other to check off task lists for the unreached. They're dependent on each other. Maybe you're a small group or a family or someone that says, I want the nations to know. I want to give my life for this. I want to give my checkbook to this. I want to give all of this. Yet we neglect to pray and serve each other. And you don't know a person in this room. They're dependent on each other. We cannot reach the nations if we don't love one another. My good friend, his dad was my neighbor for a while. And when Danny Cunningham had come to visit, praise God, I love that man. It was so fun having him there. And he came to visit, and I wanted to take him to get my favorite burger. It's delicious, by the way. And we wanted to go get our favorite burger, and I was excited to have this great time with Danny. And my buddy called, and he said, hey, 
you know, I heard you're in this part of town. I'm going to come by and see you. It's like, oh, that means we have to go to Arabic. We can't, Danny and I can't just hang out, you know. And in true Arab fashion, which now we've grown to love, as he just showed up, <laughs> which is awesome. Um, but that night, we went to a friend's house, another Westerner, who had a painting that wasn't exactly this painting, but very similar and very big on the side. It's the same artist, but a very big on the side. It says, Rayat al-Nur. I've seen the light. Rayat al-Nur, right across the side. He said, uh, what does this mean? This sounds religious. Yeah, that's religious, man. And he said, what does this mean? And for about an hour and a half, maybe even two hours, we sat in a medulus, much like uh, that one, just on these couches. And for about two hours, we walked through Genesis to Christ and how Christ, how God is revealing himself. He's showing us the light. He's brought the light through Jesus. The perfect picture of who our God is. I said, and now... We, the church, we've seen the light. And now we get to proclaim who God is. He's working in the church and revealing him who he is to the world, to each other, to our neighbors. We've seen the light. And we ate our cold burgers at that time. (laughs) And afterwards he said, No one's ever told me that before. The reality is, when we're not united in love, we're not loving each other, we're not loving our neighbors, our light is hidden. The very testimony of who our God is, is our unity. Think about that. That's amazing. Our unity is the very testimony of who our God is, and we get to proclaim it with our words and how we love one another. Let's carry the light, right? Let's love one another. Let's love our neighbor. Let's love the nations and proclaim his excellencies to the world together. We're united in love. We're united for love. One last story before we close. I had a great friend who always gave us a hard time that he wanted to see what we did in church, in our fellowship. Yeah, what are you guys doing there? You know, he'd give us a hard time. And we had a big Christmas Eve service at, our, at an international church in town. And I was like, man, you got to come to this. It'll be great. It'll be short. There's some teaching, but then there's food. And he's like, oh, yes, I'll be there. Perfect. And he came. And at first, he was a little cynical. You know, he's kind of just enjoying himself. He wasn't rude or disrespectful. And really about five to ten minutes toward the end of the service, you just see tears coming down his face. And at the end, I said, man, I saw you, you know, get a little emotional, which is great. I'm just curious, are you okay? 
what happened. And he said, I've never seen anything like that. I was like, what do you mean? Do you like the songs? <laughs> He's like, no. Maybe he did, but it wasn't that that led him to tears. The unity of races, the unity of men and women from all over the world coming together to glorify and proclaim the glory of Christ led my buddy to tears, and he had never seen it before. Our unity matters. It does. So let's carry the light. Will you pray with me? Lord, we praise you. And despite of our sin, you have redeemed us. You have brought us near. You have loved us. You do love us. Lord, may we be a people that reflect your glory, your love, the culture of your kingdom to the world and to each other. Lord, may evangelization not be just for the neighbor and the nations. May we evangelize each other, God, and point us to you. Give us a heart to share the gospel with each other. Give us a heart to step outside of our small groups and this fellowship. That your story, your glory, and your love be quick to come out of our mouths, Lord. May the echoes of what you're doing in the church reach the nations. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, O God. We praise you and we thank you for our unity. May we treasure it and fight for it. And in Jesus' name, amen.